This episode is brought to you by WeatherGuard Lightning Tech. At WeatherGuard, we make wind turbine lightning protection easy. If you're a wind farm operator, stop settling for damaged turbine blades and constant downtime. Get your uptime back with our strike tape lightning protection system. Learn more in today's show notes or visit weatherguardwind.com slash strike tape. Welcome back. I'm Alan Hall. I'm Dan Blewett, and this is the Uptime Podcast, where we talk about wind energy, engineering, lightning protection, and ways to keep your wind turbines running. All right, welcome back to the Uptime Podcast. I'm your co-host, Dan Blewett. No Alan Hall today, but we've got a great guest, uh, Dr. Thomas Schlegel. He's the founder and managing director from Eologics, and they are an ice detection sensor company uh, with some really interesting IP. So we've talked about uh, in subsequent episodes, you know, the whole Texas, uh, you know, ice disaster from January of 2021. And we've covered it from different angles. You know, we talked to uh, Brian from Elemental Coatings talk about some upcoming, you know, ice um, ice shedding coatings that allow ice to sloth off a blade a lot faster. We've talked to uh, Lasse Hietico from Weistech with their uh, blade heating technology, and so we've we've gotten a good idea of like some of the different ways to keep ice off your blades. Um, but today, their uh, their technology at Eologics is about uh, ice detection, and you know this is going to allow operators to automatically stop and start their turbines when it's uh you know safety regulations tell them that they have to and if they don't have a heating technology that's going to be their solution right is to stop their blades uh, you know wait till you know tomorrow it warms up or the next day or whatever and then get them operating again um, and that's going to make the most sense for a lot of climates and 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 some wind farms so Eologic has it has interesting technology. Um, there's a, essentially it's it's almost like a big sticker. They can stick it on the blade. Um, you can put it on every turbine in your site or a handful, depending you know just on what's going to be best for it. And you could also put it on uh, potentially uh, turbines that are closer to say a uh, you know a residential area or a trail or somewhere where again there might be more human safety concerns from throwing you know ice getting thrown, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So. You know, one of the things that makes this tech pretty interesting is that it's not measuring just atmospheric conditions and sort of predicting or guessing, but it's actually directly measuring uh, the ice accumulation on the blade. So this is unique to their company, to Eologics, and uh, it's something that potentially could really be a game changer for, for wind farms that are struggling with having to send technicians out to manually stop and start the turbines and they're just maybe not getting the the quality of data that they might otherwise you know get from something that's actually like a direct measurement not just again an atmospheric or ultrasound kind of measurement so uh again really interesting conversation with with thomas today so without further ado let's go to thomas schlegel managing director and founder of eologics sensor technology All right. Well, Thomas, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. We're really uh, excited to talk more about this uh, wind turbine blade icing issue. Thank you, Dan. Thank you for being here in the show. So let's get let's get going. So obviously, Texas had a lot of you know icing problems back in January of 2021. There were huge power outages. Right. We've talked about this 
uh, on the podcast here from a bunch of different angles with, you know, blade heating technology, um, coatings that can help reduce icing from elemental coatings, lots of different, different avenues. We've talked about this, this problem because it was so, it was such a big deal, you know, in, in, in the U.S. when that ice storm hit. Um, but what we haven't really talked about is ice sensors. And so you are with Eologics. And you guys have some pretty unique uh, intellectual property and your technology is, is actually really fascinating. So can you take us through a little bit about why detection is so important? Because everyone thinks about, yeah, we need to keep ice off. Like, does it even matter that we know it's there? We just need you know, why don't we just blast them with heat all the time? But uh, it seems like the detection is just as important, if not more so important than actually having the heating in place. But can you take us through that a little bit? Why is detection um, so critical for keeping these turbines um, optimized? Yeah, um, actually, from our perspective, our point of view, the detection is actually where it, where everything started starts, right? Uh, so you need to detect ice to be efficient in removing the ice. That means, I mean, as you said, it's it may, might be possible to like heat the blade all the time, which is really costly and 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 not mm -hmm. not really efficient. But knowing that your blades are iced, and that's the the very first very important point to know that your blades are iced is is the first step to then take uh steps counter steps to to avoid or remove the ice from the blades and so there's been a lot of different types of technology what what right now is is so different about your sort of stick on epoxy on um solution with eologics what's different about it it's actually the, the direct measurement so as, as as i said before you want to know the ice on the blades. It's not not enough to know that the temperature is below zero, or maybe there is some moisture in the in the air that uh, that you have icing conditions. The very important stuff is that there is ice on the blades, and to be accurate with the measurement and the accuracy, you only get with direct measurement on the blades. So all the indirect measures, like measuring on the nacelle or uh, measuring vibrations of the blade or comparing the, the power output of the turbine, like the, the power curve uh, changes, it's, it's just too inaccurate to be really efficient with, with blade heating or countermeasures against icing. And that's where we ideologics uh, say that the direct measurement is of course the, the most efficient way and and also the the most accurate way to to detect icing on the plates so can you take me through the other ones and we don't have to get into like your actual you know competing companies but just what are the other different technologies and so you just mentioned atmospheric conditions you can measure those so mm -hmm. you know we, we pretty much know when the cocktail is right for icing right if it's a certain temperature um certain level of moisture in the air um but you also mentioned uh vibrations on the blade and ultrasound mm -hmm. stuff like that can you give us kind of a quick overview of all the different types of ways that we as an industry have been um detecting ice mm -hmm. so the the like which is what is really long on the market is the or are the nasal based measurements that starts with anemometer comparison. So you have a heated anemometer and a not heated anemometer. And if the one that is not heated starts to uh, to change the rotational speed compared to the heated one, then you suggest that there is icing. Uh, the mm -hmm. other one is a vibrating wire, uh, which is placed on the, uh, on the nasal. And if this wire starts to ice, then this vibration frequency uh, changes. And again, it's indication for icing conditions. 
And it's not yet saying that there is icing on the plates. The other thing, which is plate-based, is the vibration measurement stuff on the plates, where you measure the vibrations of a plate, you calculate eigenfrequencies, and if the weight of the plate changes, the eigenfrequencies change. And mm. with this eigenfrequency change, you again say that there has to be ice on the plate because why else should the weight of the plate changes uh, than because of ice? So that's I think that's the most most common ways of, of detecting ice. So the nasal based, which are there since I would say beginning of the 2000 uh, uh, years, and then you have the vibration based system, which started a little bit after 2010. Okay. And and that's where also your logic started in 2014 uh, with the direct measurement on the plates. Gotcha. So uh, I want to get back into you know why detection is so important. Um, but first, let's go more into into what Eologics does. So yours is direct, and it's a lot like I mean to me, it almost looks like one of those uh, really high tech bandages that you put on like a, like a burn or something, where you it's you know you're applying it to the blade. It's got good, um, you know, like sticky back adhesive. You're going to edge seal it, so it's it's going to be on there. Um, but what's what are the key pieces without? Obviously, I know you have some pretty interesting intellectual property. But what are some of the unique things um, about your sensors? The, the nice thing is actually, and and that's maybe um, uh, the the size of the sensor that it's it's really thin. So we are below two millimeters of, of thickness. That means that the sensor is is flexible. So, and it's completely wireless. It's about the size of a, of a hand. And uh, you, as you already said, they are sticked like, like stickers on the blade. Um, with, because they are so thin, there is no aerodynamic effect and they are directly sticked on the outside of the blade. As they are completely wireless, uh, they have to get powered somehow. And, and we use uh, flexible solar cells on the sensors that power the sensors. Additionally, there are battery uh, batteries on it, small battery packs for complete dark times, and that's but that's really only necessary if you way up north. So we have installations north of the polar circle where you have more than uh, uh, maybe months of only gray daylight, uh, where you get a really uh, where you get less uh, ambient light. And, and there you need this battery backup without okay, so any got, light. Yeah. So you've got some redundancy in there. It sounds like. Mm, exactly. And then, and then you have the, the measurement area, which is based on a, a capacitive measurement principle. That's uh, similar. Actually, it's the same measurement principle that all the smartphones like your Apple phone uses to detect that there is a finger and we use this technology to detect the ice and not only the ice, but also the ice thickness. And the, the type of ice. So we can also distinguish between light rime ice and, and heavy high mass uh, glaze ice. Hmm. Okay. So it sounds like, you know, you said it's really thin. It's not going to really affect aerodynamics. How is it going to hold up to some like leading edge erosion? Because obviously that's one of the big uh, things. We have a couple of robotics companies uh, coming on the show. Um, everyone's trying to repair leading edge erosion, get ahead of it, you know, prevent it. Um, you know, is yours going to get eaten up by, you know, years being on the blade? And it seems like obviously yours has got to perform really well in some pretty brutal conditions. Yeah, we're not really 
directly on the leading edge, although on the pressure or suction side, but the erosion happens directly on the leading edge and ice accumulation normally starts a little bit off the stagnation point. And that's where okay. the sensor is, is uh, located. And additionally, we are placed below uh, an erosion protection tape. So the whole sensor comes below an, a 3M erosion protection tape, and that's also protecting the sensor against erosion. And so I, mean, I guess like the practical application here is that you know when and and these sensors are connected to the turbine itself where it can it'll just automatically start and stop it when it's got ice is that right or is it just alert somebody and then they've got to take action i mean what's the what's the latency there as far as detecting ice and like what's the action item of of the the sensor itself the the nice thing with the sensors is that uh, suddenly as they detect ice they not only say ice yes or no so we have several sensors on the on the plates and each sensor is delivering the thickness level of ice. They are transmitting the data to a, a receiver. The receiver is located in the nasal and uh, normally it's or usually it's connected directly to the controller. The turbine uh, controller then reacts on the on the signal of the sensors and either stops the turbine or and that is also very important can automatically restart the turbine after ice conditions. Additionally, you have the possibility to, to control heating solutions. So if you already have a kind of cold climate package on your turbine and you have a heating, uh, you can use the sensors as it's really, it can be really sensitive. You can also realize functions as predictive heating. And of course, uh, you can use the data from several turbines to, to predict like big icing conditions uh, what what we have, for example, as you said in the in the introduction in, in in Texas in January, we are doing that actually already in Austria with with the with the grid operator to to give him information if if several turbines have to be shut down due to icing and maybe further more turbines are coming to to a shutdown that this gives the information for the for the grid operator that soon there will be turbines going off the the, the grid. And, and 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 that helps for for preventing uh, such uh, yeah power losses in the grid. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So I guess if people are trying to you know taper down and say, okay, we need to divert power from here and and you know get more from here because we're going to lose a couple of turbines, and that makes that makes good sense to kind of get ahead of it that way. I hadn't really thought about that um, prior to us talking, but that makes a lot of sense. Where you, like you said, you have a little bit of a predictive gap to to get other power sources you know, to the forefront, you know, if you're into that, that, uh, potential, like big time ice situation, that makes sense. Um, well, are you guys partnering with like other companies? Cause it, it seems like this whole thing is, it's not just like, this is the only thing you need to prevent blade icing. Right. It seems like there's lots of different tools and I know we're going to have, um, I, I think one of our, uh, our previous guests, um, back on the show to talk about aerodynamics and how power curve upgrades could even help keep mm-hmm. them going when they have a little bit of, uh, ice accumulation on there. Um, but like, I mean, how do you view this sort of whole ecosystem, um, of like blade heating technologies and, and your sensor technology and maybe like even the coatings, like, which is really cool and sort of one of the, uh, you know, up and coming with, uh, elemental coatings. I mean, how do you see that whole thing working to where it makes like good financial sense? And, um, you know, do you, do you see like all this changing where it's going to be relatively easy with new technology sort of working together to keep these, you know, to, to prevent another Texas situation from happening? I mean, I, I think they have to be 
easy working, otherwise nobody will, will use them. And in terms of partnering, uh, we see eologics or especially the sensors as, as supporters for, for several other companies and, and, and areas for this uh, code climate uh, package. So of course the OEMs, the manufacturers of the turbines with their heating solutions, the sensors can be a supporter for efficient controlling the heating solutions for ice detection as already talked about. But also companies like, like Weistec uh, was in the show before, right? So mm -hmm. we are cooperating with them. Also additional heating solutions. Uh, we use the sensors for temperature control of the heating solution. So all these conductive heating solutions normally are pretty sensitive. They are high efficient, so they can heat up really fast, but they are also not allowed to get too hot, right? And, mm -hmm. and a sensor, like I, our sensor that is measuring directly the surface uh, ice sickness, but also the temperature can, can help there to control these, these features. Of course, you have also the, uh, the, the coatings and uh, here our sensor can easily be placed below such coatings. So we uh, already were on, on winglets of, of, of blades below these anti-ice coatings just to prove that they are really uh, not affected by icing. And, and so as far as like regulations, I mean, I'm sure depending on the climate, depending on the country, like there are, there are regulations in place, right, for, for icing and when the turbines need to be shut down. Can you go into that a little bit? Because obviously no one wants to be chucking, you know, two kilogram pieces of ice, you know, into a neighboring community. Like, and, and that's very realistic because of just how powerful these turbines are and how fast they spin. Um, so what are the, what are the implications for stopping and starting, you know, the turbines safely? And like, what are some of the different regulations that have to be met? That, that it's really country dependent. And, and even in, in, in countries like, like Germany, it's, it's even on a smaller, uh, region, uh, different, but as you said, most of the times it's a safety issue that comes with the regulations. So you're not allowed to operate a turbine if there are some uh, uh, safety uh, issues, what is not allowed with ice is exactly the safety issue. So only rime ice, a white shadow, um, white thin level of ice is, is allowed because if it goes down, it's, it's more like snow, but you're not allowed to have glaze ice on the turbine. As you said, two kilograms of, of an ice ball falling down and maybe throwing more than hundreds or three hundreds of uh, meters away is, is definitely, nothing you want to have. And yeah, there the regulations normally uh, yeah, force the, the end user or the operator owner of the turbines to use an ice detection system and turn off the turbine if there are some safety issues. And that's actually the regulation. And then it's up to, the, to, the, uh, to our customers or to the owners of, of, of turbines, how they mitigate this, these ice risks. And then, I mean, what, what's the most common thing at the moment? So when we talked with Lystech, like most turbines don't have blade heating, you know, installed at the moment. Um, and of course there's, you know, much of the, the installed capacity around the globe isn't going to be in a condition, you know, in a place where they're even going to need it. Right. There's tons of them in, in warm climates throughout the year. Um, but to most, most turbines that have some sort of ice detection is, is there, is there a thing just to turn them off and that's like their solution? Like we're just going to shut them off when they're iced, when the ice falls off or just like melts when it, the conditions improve, then we just turn them back on. Is that, is that pretty much the current solution for most 
um, wind farms? I think that's the, the majority of, of turbines do have these solutions. And as soon as the downtime due to icing gets high enough so that the economical uh, pain, if you if you put it like that, is, is mm -hmm. high enough, then like heating solutions going to be an, an option. But the majority of turbines, as you said, don't have a heating solution. And there, if you have days below zero uh, C, you, you might have icing and then you, the first thing you have normally is an ice detector to turn off the turbine and then stop it. And when the temperature is is above zero again or the ice is gone, uh, you restart the turbine again. Then it again, it's a, a question of the the number of events you have during a winter. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's 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 okay to, to manually restart the turbine because it's only a few events over the winter. If it's more than a few events, you might want to have an, an ice detector that also automatically restarts your turbine because you don't want to do it manually all the time. Yeah, that makes sense. So this is going to prevent, um, your sensors will prevent them having to send a technician out there that they can just do it from like a control room. Is that right? Exactly. And then, so like we talk a lot about data on the show. Um, our co-host, Alan, who's, who's not here today, loves data. You know, Alan's a huge, huge data guy. Um, so I feel like in his honor, I should ask you about, about, about data because everyone, it seems like has their own dashboard or they're, you know, they're pumping the data where it can be accessed um, by the, the operator um, or the technicians or whoever. So, I mean, what do you guys do as far as data? Is it, is it really important in this case or is it really, because to me, it sounds like, and this is just an outsider's view that as long as the sensor turns it off when it needs to be turned off, turns it back on when it needs to be turned it back on seems like it might not need that much of like a, a data dashboard, but is that, is my view right or off there? It's again, depending on the customer. So there are many customers uh, that are, Hey, if the ice detection is working and it turns off the turbine and it restarts the turbine, then it's fine. I don't need additional data. And then there are others who or maybe also bigger customers who, who want to do their own kind of research, want to evaluate icing on the turbines, want to know what happens on their blades. Uh, they at least want to have the data uh, because mm -hmm. normally scalar data in the turbine is, is not uh, accurate enough. So for these ones, we of course also offer kind of a dashboard or an API for connection to their second uh, level SCADA system. So they can have all these data, like data from each individual sensor with each individual ice level and temperature value. Um, but that is really customer dependent. Yeah, gotcha. And then I'm assuming that this is something you'd want to have sensors on every single turbine. So if you have a wind farm with 60 turbines, you want sensors on every single one, or is it just like on a couple? Um, how does it how does it work as far as the layout goes? I mean, as a logics, of course, preferable would be uh, sensors on each on each turbine. But uh, to be honest, it, it also depends on the terrain. Uh, if it's like a complex terrain where the turbines really ice differently, uh, then it, mm -hmm. it makes sense to have it on more turbines than maybe only on the corner turbines. It's sometimes also a regulation topic. Sometimes you need to equip the turbines that are close to a road or a, a path or trail with ice detectors and uh, sometimes the customer really only wants to take the corner turbines and if these corner turbines ice then he shuts off the whole wind park oh so and, and so when you mentioned that 
you know, maybe if they're close to a trail or something, is that just because they'd have more of like the potential to throw ice towards, you know, people? Is that right? Exactly. Like a trail gotcha. where some bikers or uh, mm-hmm. people going, you don't want to have ice throwing down on the on the trail, right? Yeah. And, and it's, it's weird because when I think of like a wind turbine throwing ice, it, it to me, like, you know, there's not many things in life that actually throw ice, right? Like, you know, an icicle might fall off your building. Um, but in general, like you never come across, at least in like a normal person who's not working in like a heavy industry or something, like any kind of like dangerous ice. But I mean, we're talking about chunks that are like multiple kilograms where it's essentially like throwing a brick, right? And that's what kind of what I've been thinking about. Like I live in DC and there's tons of brick uh, sidewalks and, and streets and stuff. And the idea of like a wind turbine chucking a brick across across like a neighborhood is te- is terrifying. Like that really could kill somebody. Yes. But it's for me, it's like hard to get into that mindset of like, oh, just like chucking some ice. You think of like, you know, again, like some ice sliding off your roof, like no big deal. It's like a little sheet of it. But it, that's not really the case. It's really like super dangerous. Again, like chucking bricks across my neighborhood. It's, it's like you're under under fire almost. Yeah, exactly. And you have to imagine that the, the tip of a of a blade is like moving with more than 200 kilometers per hour. So I don't know what's that in, in miles per hour, but uh, pretty fast. And if the ice falls off at the right moment or throws off at the right moment, it, it really goes far, right? So we're talking really yeah. about 100, 200, even 300 meters. And and then maybe from a height of 200 meters, that, that there is a lot of force behind it. And you don't want to get that on your car either. <laughs> yeah, which I do want. I do want to see this in action, though. So if anyone has a video of a, of a turbine throwing a, a brick-sized piece of ice, please, please email it to me because that would be fascinating. You know, like as kids, you look at like uh, trebuchets or catapults, and you know they have like that in the U.S. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with this, Thomas, but in the U.S. they have a what's called the pumpkin chunking contest. Are, are you aware of that? <laughs> Every like Thanksgiving. It's um, like these group of people get out in this huge field. I don't know where they hold it. It's somewhere in the U.S., but there's like a cannon division and like a trebuchet and like a catapult division. And then they like <laughs> shoot these pumpkins like into the stratosphere. <laughs> so it, this just like kind of reminds me of that. But some of these trebuchets, you know what a trebuchet was, that old like medieval thing. They're super cool. Um, yeah, they're throwing them like a mile. <laughs> and so <laughs> it's fascinating, but it reminds me of this a little bit. But yeah. um yeah. So, I mean, okay. So depending on the, on the shape of the wind farm and for me, like sometimes I get in the mindset of like thinking of wind farms as just like a big, almost like a phalanx, you know, like a an army formation where it's just like a big rectangle, but they're in, in practice, they're really not like that most of the time where they could be winding up on a mountaintop. Like there's some in West Virginia, a couple hours away that are just, you know, going on the mountaintop. And so the, the icing conditions, I could definitely see it there being like semi consistent from one to the next, but also potentially pretty different depending on like the sun that comes out that day, like where they're positioned, maybe one gets a lot more sun or a lot less. Um, so I guess, you know, like, like you said, a lot of the, uh, the operators have to really kind of figure out how much, like how diligent they want to be about it. Mm, exactly. At the end, it's, it's, it's most of the time, it's the decision of the, the owner or operator of the turbine. Um, mm-hmm. And they, they normally can really, uh, they are really good in judging if there is a risk. Um, and on the other side, of course, when talking about this this Texas event, of course, it, it might be also really interesting in a, in a greater view or in a higher, like a top level view to, to think about that in, in terms of a grid operator, as already discussed, to, to see 
early icing coming and like affecting several wind parks and maybe mm-hmm. getting these hours of, of uh, alert before and then turning on, on maybe other plants or other thermal plants to uh, assist actually the power loss from, from wind turbines shutting off due to icing. Yeah, and, and that's what I think seems to make sense because that's what was so complicated about the Texas thing is that that storm was pretty rare. And obviously what happened was, you know, almost uh, it was like a black swan type of event. Just, you know, maybe it could have been predicted, but really they just weren't prepared for it. Right. Because it was just so out of the blue. But then if you start to think, well, like, all right, Texas is pretty warm most of the time. Like, how much do we really need to put there? Do we really need to spend all this money on all these different technologies? But the idea of, like you said, maybe you just have a couple turbines equipped with sensors where you can say, okay, it looks like something might start to happen. We don't have to outfit all hundred of them and go to that expense, but we could put it on a couple. And now this gives us a little bit of an alert. Like you said, let's get the other types. Like in Texas, it was, you know, um, natural gas and some coal and um, they can start to prepare for it. And now this is not a catastrophe anymore. I mean, is that something that maybe in like slightly warmer climates that you would recommend or see people do is just like, just put these on a couple it, rather than none and that way you sort of hedge your bets and have uh, some like you said some of that predictive um, power it's, it's definitely the the first thing you can do and it's it's much much cheaper than uh than like going for a heating solution or like a whole cold climate package right like you mm-hmm. said for a region which is normally really warm and and didn't happen so far even the the acceptance will not be that high for another like putting another i don't know what what's the price for heating solutions retrofit heating solutions in all these turbines uh so the 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 ice detection of several turbines and and at least get the data of this whole area on on certain points i would say that that's a good good cheap uh, way for for forecasting a little bit and and avoiding uh, such events Let's talk a little bit about uh, offshore versus onshore. I mean, are you seeing much of a difference? Obviously, one of the things I think that was really interesting that uh, uh, Lasse at, at Weistech mentioned was that as wind turbines get to a certain height, they're actually reaching like into significantly colder parts of the atmosphere, uh, which I found really like they can actually like kind of scrape into the clouds, grab mm-hmm. some moisture and start to create ice that way, which I thought was kind of like mind blowing. Um, but with these getting bigger and bigger, I mean, over 800 feet tall now, um, you know, and with offshore being such a rough environment, potentially, I mean, I mean do you see something, I guess it's like two part question. Do you see offshore versus in or versus onshore being vastly different in their needs here or, and, and do you see the height really starting to play a different, uh, a new role in icing as we go forward? The height definitely for ice detection. So we see that. Also, as we have sensors also on the tips that you can see icing, especially happening first at the tips. And then sometimes really that you don't have anything closer to the root, uh, which which also is sometimes it's a, it's like you said, a cloud, like the blade really dipping into a cloud or, or uh, most of the times it's also the, the higher uh, speed that accumulates and, and um, uh, aerodynamic effects having more ice on the tip. Offshore in terms of ice detection is, I think, a topic where safety is not of that of a big concern. 
and mm -hmm. it's also seen a little bit different. So we have equipped offshore turbines, but more of in terms of avoiding a service team going there if there is some ice on the nacelle on the tower. So because then they're going there with a helicopter or with a boat and they are not allowed to enter the turbine because there are ice and there might be the risk of falling ice down. So they want mm. they, they do want to avoid costs for going there for nothing, but not in terms of, of falling ice because what happens if the ice falls down, it goes into the sea and yeah, nobody nobody cares. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't think about that. So yeah, I mean, if they have to go manually start the turbines, that's a big hassle and that's a, a pretty expensive hassle, like you said, because even if they don't go in there, um, that's, you know, days worth of expense for multiple technicians. Plus you said, like you said, charting a helicopter, like none of that's cheap. So yeah, it, it's interesting to think of all the different scenarios that start to play out and whether you should install X or Y kind of retrofit on your, or, or, or even at the factory for a turbine, just say like, yeah, we might have, you know, this many, you know, events over the course of the lifespan where we have to send a technician out, they cost $10,000 a piece. Therefore, we should probably not do that. You know, like, it's really interesting to think of all the, just the different scenarios that you have to prepare for as a wind farm uh, operator to just, like you said, just try to feel like what's the, what's the most savvy, intelligent, logical financial decision to make? Should we spend X thousand dollars on this solution that will prevent these five scenarios that will probably happen, but may not happen? Um, like you said, that prediction is, is really, I think, key as much as you can say, hey, this is probably how many times that this might happen. So I, I imagine with these bigger companies that own probably multiple sites, do you see them going more for like the data dashboard where they just want to start to understand the problem as a whole so that if they're, all right, we're going to about to create our, you know, 30th wind farm, we have a pretty a good understanding of icing from all these different sites that we've already had. And now we can say, okay, based on where this is, it's sort of similar to site X or site Y. And now, yes, let's go for uh, detection or yes, let's go for detection and heating or no or whatever. Is that, is that something that the bigger companies tend to do? Definitely. So they all have their, as far as I know, they all have their own dashboards. They have their engineers analyzing this data, uh, doing comparison. Uh, I mean, there are also big differences between the different OEMs, the different manufacturers of, of turbines, the different ice detection solutions, uh, different sites. Um, other effects of icing, I mean, we only talked about the safety things then in, I think that was close to, to the, to Chicago talking about a, a wind park where icing is, is causing noise. And this noise is then again, affecting mm. the village close by. So there are many reasons why, uh, operators and owners think about ice detection, especially the bigger companies doing a lot of, of research especially the last years in, in terms of, of, of this ice detection and what is necessary and what might not be necessary. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, one of the companies uh, that we're having on the show in the, in the near future is, is Ping Services, and they have a, um, a sound detection system that they mount on the bottom of the, the tower, which can tell, and they said icing is one of their potential things as well, where they can tell when there's changes to the blade, whether it's damage or icing or something else, because it changes the pitch and the sound of it, which is crazy to think about. Um, but yeah, I mean, these things are going so fast and they're so big that, yeah, you can imagine that just some little thing that's off makes a, a really 
important change to the decibel level that it puts out, which could, which could also just say, all right, hey, we have to stop our turbines because they're too loud now. We didn't account for that, which is, you know, also another a big problem. Um, so let, let's talk a little bit about um, automation and robotics, which is also a recurring theme uh, on the show, just because it's it's that technology is taking off. Um, so your your sensors are installed installed both as a factory install and a retrofit. Um, what's that ratio look like right now? And then do you see your installations being done by robots in the future? And if so, how far off is that? So in 2015, we started, uh, I would say, with 100% retrofit. Of course, no manufacturers were, were uh, keen enough, I would say, to, to start from the beginning with a new company and say, yeah, go go on our new blades. It's no problem to stick there. So we had to, to convince operators and owners. So we started with 100% retrofit. And uh, in 2018, got into the, the option list of, of the first manufacturer last year. Uh, the next manufacturer, so we at the moment that I would say 30%, 30 to 40% of, of manufacturing uh, based installations and, and 60, uh, 60 to 70% still retrofitting turbines. Okay. Retrofitting, yeah, retrofitting is happening happening in in rope access via rope access or via platform at the moment. We are already talking with companies like Arons. I think they they have been on the show uh, mm -hmm. already, and uh, they have great technology. And we already talked with them if it's possible to install the sensors by their robots on the blades. It's still a little bit tricky as uh, we have, like I said, this erosion protection foil on the sensor, and this one has to go on the blade without any wrinkles. So the process for a human is pretty easy, like sticking a sticker on a window, just squeezing the liquid out and it's flat and it's fine. But for a robot, mm -hmm. that's, that's kind, still kind of difficult. But I would say in the near future, making the sensor a little bit smaller, reducing this erosion protection foil it, it it will be possible to to stick that also with a robot on the blade yeah i guess that makes sense where you know the contours of the blade they continually change as they go towards the tip so the bigger your sensor is the more it's going to have to deal with some of those contours is that right and the robot just has a tough time with that exactly yeah 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 i <laughs> we um what was it? I uh, I used to to work in, in, in baseball, uh, and we were just trying to put uh, stickers on the front of our batting helmets. It's the same process. It's the same thing. It's like we should be able. We should have the technology to do this. We put like rockets into space, and I can't smooth a sticker on a batting helmet properly without it getting wrinkled. I was very disappointed in myself. Yeah, but, but that's um, the reason why the the sensor has to be flexible, right? Because you you can't just take a stiff piece of uh, sensor and then try to stick it on these different shapes all over the plate. It has to be flexible. It has to be uh, um, fit able to to any position of the plate. As far as like uh, robotics goes, do you see more of this like ecosystem evolving where you know robots deployed to do this or do that? Just in general, not necessarily limited to eologics, but. Um, I mean, you guys are, you know, a technology company just like any other. Um, and I'm sure you have to be on like the, the, the leading edge, so to say, of, um, 
you know, keeping up with what's happening in technology and manufacturing your own products to match an increasingly automated world and robotic world. I mean, is that something that your company that you guys are really thinking about consistently? Like, how do we fit in? How do we manufacture our next versions or iterations to to fit robotics demands or or to make inspections easier on drone companies or et cetera, et cetera? Mm So drones is definitely something that we that is already used. I would not even say that that's maybe the, the next thing that's already happening. So a lot of, mm-hmm. of service things and inspections are done by drones. It, there is also great, great technology in AI for analyzing the blades. And, and that's something we use already also for inspecting sensors that have been on, on blades for several years, how, how they are affected by erosion. If there are lightning strikes that didn't go into the lightning receptors, how do the sensors look like? So that that's much easier with drones and, and, and robots with this high, high technology camera, high resolution cameras on, on there. Uh, that's something we definitely uh, on to, or, or actually we already use. And then of course, robotics for installing the sensors. That's, that's for, I would say also one of our next, next big things. If that can be realized, that's also, um, really doing the things easier to get the sensors on the blades because at the moment mm-hmm. you need to have this rope access guy they have to stop the turbine i mean it's it's nearly a day to install a whole system that's not a lot but it also is of course better to do it in three hours for example right yeah yeah i think that's everyone's goal is just moving faster and making it safer and getting people off the off the blades themselves because rope access is even though it's you know, the safety protocols are excellent. It's still just dangerous work, right? It's tough work. Um, so what's next for you all? So I know you have another product you're potentially rolling out soon. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that? Because it seems like with, when you have this sort of sensor platform that you could potentially do different things with it, right? That's true. So we see the sensor definitely as a, a platform. Ice detection was the, the first thing. Temperature measurement is on there. Uh, and the next next big thing, so to say, for, for us uh, will be in, in June uh, launching a pitch angle misalignment detection. So we, we also have accelerization sensors on our sensor platform and, and giving us the possibility to, to detect and especially continuously measure pitch misalignments and uh, pitch angles during operation. And that's the, 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 the new thing doing this, this pitch measurements continuously during operation in all states of the operation. So not only at, for example, five meters per second, but also up to 20 meters per second. So we've talked about yaw misalignment uh, on, on past shows a little bit, um, but we haven't talked really much about pitch angle misalignment. So can you just give me kind of an overview? I mean, to me, it seems like, you know, they install the blades once, like why would they wander off uh, out of misalignment? Majority of, of things happen is actually due to service or to software updates of the turbines. So really changing something at the turbine over their lifetime and then and, and suddenly you have a like one blade going off with 0.5, maybe one degree, which is which is really not a lot, but talking with one degree of, of misalignment of one blade, uh, you can expect an uh, AEP losses of one to three percent. So that mm-hmm. and that's again a lot, and and why that why that is happening is actually maybe the the, the pitch strategies changes or service teams um, um, leave some 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 sensors uncalibrated, 
and so on. So there are actually many reasons why, why that can happen. And I also know now a lot of companies that started to, after building turbines, doing a, a pitch measurement right after the, the commissioning as already or at the commissioning phase of the of the manufacturer issues or, or, or failures can happen that result in the pitch misalignment. Okay, so once they update software or making some kind of change, that's when they can get off. And like you said, one one per one degree is so small, where if you don't notice, you're just like leaking power for the indefinite future. Additionally, you have all this stuff like individual pitch control, automatic load control. So the the modern turbines start to change their pitch during one one rotation. So there is a lot of of, of pitch system doing their work there. Uh, they also can have failures, so maybe they're not like one of these engines is not exactly uh, operating correctly, 100% correctly, and suddenly you have one degree off compared to the other plates. And then would this be, would this sensor be combined with ice detection or would it be a separate sensor, probably like different, you know, just like different customers? Uh, obviously, it could, it could be the same customer, but how, how do you, is it a combined thing or is this going to be separate? The sensor looks the same, uh, although the ice sensor and uh, the pitch sensor are two, two different things. So you have, especially in, in the positions of the sensors on the plate, they have to be different, but the receiver can be the same. So it is possible to have a kind of combined system, but you can also use each system uh, on its own. And you're rolling those out this summer, is that right? Exactly. So in June, we, we have the, the, the official uh, launch. And yeah, starting with, with August, they will be able to, to be installed on, on all the blades of our customers. That's awesome. Well, I'm sure you guys are excited about that new product launch and, you know, so much goes into the development of all that stuff. So it's always like a nice milestone, I'm sure for your team to, to see it finally get out the door and start to get on, um, you know, on those, uh, those turbines. Yes. So we are all really excited as it was also a really long way to, to go for this new, new product. Um, but I think we did a great job and yeah, we, we have really, really good results from, from two rounds of, of prototype installations. So we, we had eight, eight turbines last year. Uh, we have another four turbines beginning of this year equipped with, with systems and yeah, everything looks really promising. So really being really excited for it. And your, and your ice sensor is certified by DNV. Um, is that something that, uh, do, do they certify like pitch, pitch alignment? Is that something that you guys be seeking when this rolls out or will it roll out with certification already? It, it will roll out with, with certification. And, and I mean, it's not that important from our perspective as with the ice detection as with ice detection, it's a safety thing. And, and you have to prove that it works because it's, it's safety, right? For the pitch angle, uh, misalignment detection, it's more uh, like a third company, validating that that it's true what 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 we tell we can do so that the third company is, is validating our our sensor well that makes sense I mean, we had a, a couple um dnvn uh well at the time i think it was still called dnvgl engineers mm -hmm. uh, alex Byrne and matt malkin and i mean brilliant people so when you know a company like that's validating your tech i mean i think that's always a you know lets people adopt it quicker without less you know with, with less worry you know because they know this thing's been checked by some of the best in the industry so that, that was the idea behind it exactly yeah 
So, Thomas, uh, we really appreciate your time today. Um, how can people follow up with Eologics and keep uh, keep pace with what you're doing? So, it would be great to, to follow us on, on LinkedIn. So, we all the, all the great news, the, the launch of the new product, case studies. Um, we have everything on, on LinkedIn, of course, also on, on our webpage. Um, that would, would be great. We also have there a very interesting white paper if you want to get to know much more about ice detection. It's ex- everything is explained in there. The same thing will, will be for the launch for the pitch event. Um, so it would be great to to have a look at the webpage and, and maybe follow us on, on LinkedIn. Okay. So for, for those of you listening or watching here on YouTube, as always, we'll put links to Eologics and their LinkedIn page and all the social places you can follow them in the description below. Again, whether you're on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or YouTube, wherever, um, you can easily click through and follow up with them. So Thomas, thanks so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. It was a, a really interesting conversation. And like I said, another angle to this uh, whole wind turbine blade icing, you know, kind of issue that we've been talking through. Thanks a lot for the invitation. All right, well, we're going to wrap up today's episode of Uptime. If you're new to the show, welcome. If you're a regular here, thank you for your continued support. Please subscribe to the show and leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to check out the WeatherGuard Lightning Tech YouTube channel for video episodes, full interviews, and short clips from each show. For Alan and all of us at WeatherGuard, stay safe, and we'll see you next week. Is downtime causing you financial pain and putting a stop to your power production for months on end? It's no secret, lightning strike damage is a major cause of wind turbine downtime. This damage is preventable with our easy-to-install strike tape lightning protection system for wind turbine blades. Our incredible engineering, build quality, materials, and edge sealants withstand up to five times more abuse in the toughest weather and lightning conditions. And we've got the research to prove it. If you're tired of constant downtime, we can help. Reach out to us at weatherguardwind.com and schedule a free call. We'll get your uptime back in no time.